0: Hey, welcome back to the last shot, the last cast for the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO FM 94.1, 104.7, the KFGO mobile app, and don't forget KFGO.com. As always, I want to remind you, Jeff, you can email me, outdoorslive at gmail.com. You can text outdoors to 35270. I may not get it immediately, but I will get it, and I will respond. Uh, Still to come on the weekend edition of Outdoors Live, we're going to get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're also going to get you a podcast extra with Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Uh, you listen to Gone Outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday mornings, but not everybody can listen at 11 o'clock. Not everybody can catch the podcast. So appreciate being able to bring you a podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. But first, Pat Stockdale is an award-winning outdoors communicator. She connects with hunters, anglers, bait shops, motels, resorts to give us a better idea of what people are finding or not finding outdoors. Pat Stockdale, take it away.
1: Thanks, Doug. Elsewhere around North Dakota, Devil's Lake Northern Feeder Lakes, Lake Alice and Mike Lake, for example, are seeing some walk-on ice fishing activity for walleye, as well as Six Mile Bay on Devil's Lake itself. Anglers in search of perch are walking down off the rocks along the woods, Rutten Road on East Bay, but... It's a tricky venture going along those rocks, so please be extremely careful when getting down onto the ice, as well as when you're on the ice itself. Anglers are just off of the rocks, but you'll still want to check ice conditions. Anglers are also carefully venturing on Pipestem Reservoir, walking out and finding a mix of species. But wind opened up the main part of Lake Ashtabula last week and its shoreline has dangerous ice conditions. It's best to stay off Ashtabula yet. Out west, a few boat anglers are testing the Missouri River tailrace shoots at night and finding some walleye, along with some small walleye during the day. Try further below the dam around the stumps and coal veins, boat access permitting. The trick is if the ramp gets iced in overnight, and you'll want to be careful on the slippery concrete of the ramp. There also aren't a whole lot of boat anglers out on the river. Lake Kakawea still has a lot of open water, and even its back bays are marginal for ice, let alone decent ice. In fact, if the ramp isn't iced in at the Van Hook Arm, anglers are still getting out and finding some nice walleye activity from boats, using jigs and minnows. But any boat fishing, Missouri River or Lake Kakawea, is day-to-day, especially this late into the year on Sakakawea. Even though there is some ice fishing activity, simply cannot say that safety cannot be emphasized enough. That also includes hunters and their dogs out for some late season pheasant opportunities. Cattails and vegetations and wetlands can create poor ice, for example. Be careful out there and enjoy
0: okay before before i close out the conversation with pat stockdale i need to take care of some administrative very very important important details of this week when i get through a week like this i love i love to go back over in reverse and wish my nephew jacob Ament in fargo a happy birthday wish my dad a happy birthday. My son, congratulations, graduating from North Dakota State University, the third, the third generation, my dad, myself, my son, all NDSU graduates, wishing my wife a very happy birthday, and sorry, honey, wishing you a a happy 25th anniversary. Oh, I love you so much. Now, the last cast, the last shot, it's Scotty Brewer, Kyle Agri, From Brewer & Agri Gone Outdoors, it's our podcast extra.
2: We're excited to welcome back uh, a guest we've had on the show before, David Weitzel, Minnesota DNR, Assistant Northeast Region Fisheries Manager. And uh, we're going to talk some panfish. David, welcome back to Gone Outdoors. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's great having you back. Last time, uh, you were uh, an incredible wealth of information and uh I'm looking forward to it being the case again today. And, you know, timely, we talked off air how timely this topic is because throughout the uh, Gone Outdoors listening area, we've had eh, maybe slower than some people would want, but uh, we're getting to the point where people are starting to find some fishable ice. And uh, of course, as we said in our first segment, ice safety is always an important factor, but as the winter progresses and people start heading out, inevitably, we're going to have anglers that are going to be out pursuing panfish, and that's going to include crappies. And there was a recent study on release mortality of winter crappies, and David, I know you are uh, familiar with that, and, and I think that's of interest to anybody who's out chasing these fish, um, who's concerned at all about conservation and and doing what's right to keep sustainable populations what did that what did that study tell us?
3: Yeah, well it's uh it, it's a pretty interesting study, um, in so much as you know, I think anybody that's ever fished for panfish is particularly crappie out of deeper water knows that sometimes you'll catch these fish, it seems like you have trouble releasing them. Uh, maybe some of those released fish don't really make it. And uh, you know, what's really going on there when fish are caught out of deep water, they undergo quite a change in pressure. And as we bring them up into shallower water, the gases that were under pressure in the fish's bloodstream and air bladder tends to expand, and that can actually cause quite a bit of physical damage to the fish. That's what scientists call barotrauma. It's very similar to when divers get the band. Uh But surprisingly, even though it's been studied in um, uh, a lot of different marine fisheries, it, it really hasn't been looked at in great depth in uh, panfish and in inland waters, particularly in the wintertime. So uh, here at the Minnesota DNR, we kind of wanted to try to learn a little bit more about this barotrauma effect. You know, we know that a lot of people go out uh, a lot of times right after the ice first forms. Those crappies head for the deepest basin in the lake. A lot of fishing pressure occurs uh, out in those deeper uh, depths. Uh, And we were just kind of curious what impact that might have on fish, especially for folks that enjoy catch and release fishing. So last winter, we took the opportunity to go out on three different lakes, uh, and each one of these lakes was uh, at a different depth, and um, catch 50 crappies in each lake, and then put them in a holding pen overnight. And these pens were about six feet across and stretched from the ice surface all the way down to whatever the the lake bed depth was. Uh, And then we could go back and take a look at these fish and see how did they fare after 24 hours of being held. And what we found um, kind of confirmed what we already believed, that the deeper the fish are caught, the higher incidence of trauma uh we observed. Uh, and when we reached depths that were greater than about 24 or 25 feet, we started to see an increase in mortality. Uh, so what that tells us is that, you know, maybe when we're out angling and we're fishing in those shallower depths, you can catch and release a lot of fish and you're probably not doing a great deal of harm. But when you start catching fish at depths greater than 25 feet, that might be the time to consider keeping your limit of fish uh, and maybe focusing a little bit more on your harvest and, and a little bit less on that catch
4: and release fishing. Hey, David, I got a question for you. A lot of guys sure. for, for quite a few years now, you know, they're, they want to keep good eater sized fish, you know, and that depends on their own personal uh, preference, what they consider an eater and then they'll let the bigger ones go. If I'm out in a bay, let's say I'm fishing 30 feet and I'm trying to catch my eater crappies and I catch a 16-inch crappie and I'm like, oh, man, I don't, that's really big. I'd kind of like to let it go. Am I better off, are you saying I'm better off keeping that crappie than I am letting it go? What are the odds that that fish will probably survive a 16-inch crappie out of 30 feet of water?
3: That, that's what we're really trying to determine with this study. Uh, and, um, you know, it's it's a little bit too early in the study to really assign a percentage. Uh, what we did note is that, uh, you know, even at 30 feet, it, it wasn't um, 100% mortality. So some of those fish that are being released end up surviving. But what we did note was that the percentage of fish that were dead in the net certainly increased with depth. So it, it's hard to pin a number on it other than, Uh, there's a much uh, reduced chance of that fish surviving when it's caught at 30 feet than there would be if you caught that fish at 15 feet. And it's really the depth that the fish is suspended at that matters much more than the depth of the water itself.
2: That makes a lot of sense because it's where the fish is adapted to living at that time when it's pulled up to the surface, right? Exactly, yep. Does this affect other species as well? Because, you know, so often when you're out fishing crappies, it's not uncommon to catch bluegill. It's not uncommon to catch walleye. Do those species kind of have the same vulnerability or is this a crappie thing?
3: No, there's multiple species that have vulnerability. Um, certainly uh, bluegill, although a lot of times those bluegill tend to be in a little bit shallower water in the wintertime. Um Certainly, walleye are another species where uh, we see barotrama. Um, Yellow perch are, are another good example. Uh, there's, there's other species of fish, um, and a lake trout is a great example, that actually has a physical connection between its stomach and its swim bladder. Whereas those gases expand, they can actually, you know, essentially belch and release that gas pressure. So something like a lake trout has got much less of an effect than a fish that doesn't have that connection, like a perch or a walleye or a crappie. Um, it seems like those three species are particularly vulnerable.
4: All right, David, here's another question for you. So we know this happens. this use that same 30-foot depth range. Um, what about different conditions? We're talking about wintertime now. Does water temp play a part, as in if I count one in 30 feet of water in the summer, would it be different, or how about the speed of my retrieve, the speed that I bring that fish up? If I bring it up slower, um, will it have a better chance of survival?
3: That, that, those are great questions, and, and we do know that, generally speaking, water temperature does have a big impact on post-release mortality. Generally speaking, the, the warmer the water, the more stress uh, that fish are under. Um, so when you go fishing in the summertime, there tends to be a somewhat higher release mortality anyway. Um, So certainly in the winter, that's a little bit more controlled, but uh, the actual amount of pressure change is pretty much the same, whether that fish is caught in warm water or cold water. So the risk of barotrauma is basically equal between those times of year, but how the fish might be able to recover from the barotrauma, they probably got a better chance of recovery in the winter when the water's cold than they do in the summer, for example. Um, The second part of your question, uh, it seems like once that barotrauma begins, uh, even if you bring the fish up slowly, uh, there's kind of no stopping that train. You can't bring them up slow enough for that fish to be able to adjust um, enough to avoid the barotrauma.
2: That's an interesting thought because uh, I know a lot of times people think if they bring them up slower, they're going to be... Less damage to the fish, but you're saying that's not true. Which uh, it really puts a lot of the responsibility back on the angler, right? To be monitoring the depth they're fishing and catching fish out of, and and what they harvest versus what they uh, um, what they choose to catch and release. And so the the angler is the one that that bears that responsibility. And and information is going to be the key to to people making good decisions. David, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Uh we're talking with David Weitzel, Minnesota DNR assistant, Northeast Region Fisheries Manager. And I didn't mention earlier, but also the co chair of the Minnesota DNR panfish technical team. So uh we appreciate your expertise and your knowledge. Thanks for sharing that with our listeners here today, David.
3: Yeah, thank you for the
0: opportunity. Well, there you go. The last shot, the last cast for the weekend edition of Outdoors Live. I appreciate Scotty Brewer, Kyle Agri, Pat Stockdale, the Central Coast Outdoors Report. Don't forget, podcast available at kfjo.com. Also, Outdoors News blogs uh, at kfjo.com on the Outdoors Live blog page. You can email me, Outdoors Live at gmail com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio the mighty 790 KFGO FM 94.1 104.7 kfcho.com the KFjoe mobile app. Until next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.